We are back. There's been a lot of heat. It's something we've been on. talking about since January. It wasn't COVID when we started talking about it. It was just coronavirus. It started in China. So one of the first things that we talked about was the hit that they were saying, $7 mm. billion, that was in early January. I always thought that that was a pretty big number to start mm. off with, but maybe they knew that it was going to be a bigger hit. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, they had a premonition. Obviously, they, they knew what was going on before we did back in November and December. There was already, uh, I guess that's when it started um, at the epicenter. And slowly but surely, it just kind of uh, went out of the borders into places like Italy and parts of Europe. And then eventually, obviously, made its way over to the U.S. Uh, around February, March, and which is what caused the big shutdowns here across the industry, uh, across every industry, you know, essentially, uh, not just the entertainment industry. And, and we're all just kind of um, uh, went into a bunker for a while. Everybody's been trying to stay home, try to stay safe. Uh, you know, fortunately, the internet still works and uh, Netflix is still streaming. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, still, Netflix is right. streaming. They're streaming big to a 40% profit. Oh yeah, yeah, they are. They they are, and we we wanted to talk about that a little bit uh, in terms of what the big streamers are going to be. I wanted to mention our guest today, which we're going to get into. Uh, Shane Perez is someone that we interviewed back in February. This was around the time of Kid Screen. Yeah, and, before uh, everything went down. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We started to feel there was kind of something shifting under our feet. We weren't quite sure what it was, but we still thought we were relatively safe in Miami. Uh, and so, yeah, we had a great interview with Shane Perez, who's an amazingly talented TV writer, writes a lot of kids' animations, worked with uh, Disney and a bunch of other folks. Uh, he's uh, from New York, has family in Miami, was based in Ireland, and now he's living in Portugal. So a very interesting journey <laughs> for Shane. Yeah, he's Irish-Puerto Rican. Yes, sir. Irish-Puerto Rican. <laughs> so there's, there's a, there was a lot in that uh, soup mix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, We're excited yeah. to get into that, of course. Uh, we can't thank enough our sponsors, uh, starting with Kajik Multimedia, Cinevision, the Miami Media and Film Market, and Chemical. Yes, sir. Uh, but yeah, getting right into it, uh, you know, the, the industry did experience a seismic shift. Some companies are doing better than others. Uh, you know, we just talked about Netflix becoming essentially one of the top blue chip companies in America, right? Yeah, I mean, they're high, more highly valued than IBM. Mm -hmm. Exxon Mobil, I mean, of yeah. course, there is the situation with you know, oil in general, but I mean, who would have thought that even, you know, a couple of months ago? I mean, yeah, that's something that's telling, yeah. you know, the yeah. power of media. Oh, yeah, yeah. Between the, the, the dramatic drop in oil prices, the sudden closure of major theme parks, which has hit Disney extraordinarily hard, as well as the loss of their theatrical revenue. Remember in the fall, we were talking about them having, what was it, like a $12 billion year at the box office? Their biggest uh, year. Yeah, their biggest year on record, uh, blowing all other studios out of the water, literally. Uh, you know, finally closing that huge deal to absorb the Fox Studio entities. Uh, you know, it almost seemed like nothing could go wrong with Disney, right? Yeah. And, you know, they started Disney Plus the minute they opened 10 million subscribers. Mm -hmm. But we did talk about how, you know, Disney Plus, they could kind of coast with it because they had so many other revenue streams. Oh, yeah. You know, 
And that goes from, you know, their movies to, of course, the theme parks, the even cruise ships because they have Disney cruises. Right. Yeah. So yeah. What, what's, what has been traditionally, you know, their skeletal lifeline, which is, you know, their live entities, their theme parks and the cruise ships, would, would, which have been tremendously profitable for them, hmm. uh, you know, during this situation have become, you know, an anchor. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. Yeah. And so for them, obviously, the losses were devastating. Uh, you know, obviously, for us being from Florida, we have uh, their their largest theme park in our backyard. And, you know, tremendous losses there. I feel so terrible, obviously, for the 40,000 employees uh, at the Disney theme parks that were uh, furloughed uh, about a week ago. And so, you know, everyone there is, you know, obviously, we're praying for the best for them to be able to get back to work when it's safe. Uh, but yeah, hugely tremendous economic impact on the Walt Disney Company uh, to the point that, yeah, Netflix has surpassed Disney as well in terms of market value. And so that's something we didn't foresee happening. Uh, the one silver lining, of course, for Disney is that is that Disney Plus, I think now has grown to over 50 million subscribers, something I think they weren't expecting to hit maybe for a year or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in this age of COVID, it's all about the pivot. You know, hmm. and how you're going to be able to, you know, maneuver these troubled waters and utilize what's happening with this situation towards, you know, the new business, the new right. new. I think right. that that's ultimately what it's going to be. You know, they're starting to open up a few things um, around the world, but even here in this country. But, you know, I just don't think it's ever going to be the same. And when you think about things like theme parks, you know, how are you going to maintain even once the parks get open again? You know, this whole thing about social distancing. Right. You know, I just don't until there is even, you know, when they make the, the uh, you know, the, the actual um, vaccine. You know, solution, right. the vaccine for this thing. You know, I just am not sure, you know, exactly how things are going to work, you know. Right. Yeah, no, we're not. And and this has obviously affected so many parts of the industry, not only uh, uh, obviously the, the live entertainment divisions, uh, the theatrical divisions, but everything from film festivals to film markets. You know, we had our 10th anniversary of the Miami Media and Film Market coming up in June. It was going to be a big, splashy event at the Biltmore uh, that we were all working towards and very excited about, which has been postponed uh obviously for for the reasons we just mentioned and then also other festivals i mean the miami film festival we were there every day and it just got right in the down. middle right yeah. smack dab in the middle <laughs> right in the middle we were very fortunate to have the marcus premiere the opening weekend and so that did happen uh but you know some of our other friends and colleagues like kareem taps and he had you know the miami premiere of his great documentary mucho mucho amor uh which didn't happen south by southwest didn't happen and it was just kind of a domino effect right starting in mid-march yeah and i remember you and i we walked into the happy hour and it was just you, I, and Jay LaPlante, the executive director of the Miami Film Festival. And, you know, you kind of looked at his face and it just looked a little bit somber. And, right. you know, I've not seen Jay really in that way before. And, you know, maybe the, you know, the feeling of what was coming was, was weighted 
in that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that he was getting, obviously, communications back and forth between Miami-Dade College, uh, which hosts the festival, which is obviously, for those that don't know, uh, probably the largest college in the U.S., uh, yeah, in terms is, of yeah. student population and number of campuses. So, you know, they have to be very reticent about their student body and everything that's going on, not only at the local level, at the state level as well. And so I'm sure there were communications going on between, you know, state government and local government, uh, which finally felt like the safest thing was to shut it down after about four or five days, about halfway through the festival. And, uh, and yeah, it was just, you know, again, felt terrible for, for our colleagues and friends and, and filmmakers who had some of who had traveled halfway around the world to see their movies premiere and wasn't able to happen. And then the whole, like you said, pivot was just trying to get all these filmmakers home safely, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so that was uh, a tremendous undertaking, which Jay and his staff did a, a really great job in kind of turning that around very quickly and, you know, just dealing with the situation at hand. Uh, and, you know, so now that we're past that, it seems like the other pivot has been, you know, can we still have a virtual festival or a digital conference? Uh, you know, can the Marche du Film is going to be launching one of the first major film markets in June, about a month delayed, and it'll be a virtual market where you can basically sign up and have private one-on-one -on -one meetings with distributors. And, uh, and it's going to be an interesting experiment for them and how they're going to be able to pull this off. Yeah, and you know, there's a huge, uh, you know, inter-festival event coming up that involves, you know, Sundance, Tribeca, some of the biggest festivals in mm -hmm. the country and some of the biggest in the world. And they're going to do, you know, some screenings of some of their favorite films. They've all curated films. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that this has become a collaborative and cohesive e effort towards the next steps you know, and how to figure all of this out. But even thinking about the bigger frame, you know, right. production has stopped. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talks are production won't start again until August, September. Mm -hmm. You're looking at Tyler Perry, he's already hatched a plan, you know, right. in the next three weeks. Wow. To, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his plan is because, you know, they took over that military base. Mm -hmm. So with the military base, they already had some housing. They're building more housing and they're really creating a situation where that's it's going to be an, an inclusive environment. And wow. so they're going to bring in their crew and the people that are working on whatever given production. They're going to get tested every day. There'll be incubation periods and they're going to be set up in different housing wow. in order to continue production. And, you know, and he could do that. I mean, not many big studios can do that not not many major studios can do that so his plan is uh you know in three weeks or so wow well good 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 for tyler you know and he's always been very sort of entrepreneurial and the type of hollywood guy that thinks outside the hollywood box uh, you yeah. know, credit to him. He's done that his entire career and it's worked for him brilliantly uh, that he's able to do that. But I think that what's also good about Tyler Perry projects, as opposed to producing, say, the next Avengers or whatever, is that, you know, if you can keep your productions at a smaller scale, right, and have, yeah. you know, get away with less crew, less cast, less extras, less everything, essentially. Uh, which is something that Tyler's also very good at. I think those are the Hollywood productions that are going to be able to ramp up a lot sooner than the major tent poles. And so we may see more content 
at a smaller scale, slowly building up over the next couple of years until we start to see the major, major tent poles go back into production. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about that after the jump. Mm. And also, you know, what I've been talking about uh, is animation. And this is apropos to have Shane as our guest for this one, because animation, I think, is going to have a huge, huge surgence. Um, my company, we have really moved towards, you know, pushing the button on a lot more of our animation. And, you know, before all this, you know, went down, we were um, headed to L.A., uh, for one of the biggest festivals, the Slam Dance Emergence Festival in LA, on one of our animated projects, we got selected for that. Even since then, you know, we uh, won at the Amsterdam uh, Film Festival uh, Best Animated Project, um, Best uh, Musical Composition, and Best Crime Drama. So, you know, one of our animated projects is still moving and doing things, but you know, when you have something that you feel has been a nice bullet for you, you know, in this day and age, and I'm sure that you feel this as well, because, you know, you have Marcus, um, for it to kind of, you know, become cocked back into the in, into the chamber, you know, it, it makes it, you know, a little bit more challenging figuring out, you know, what you're going to do next. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for us, yeah. animation, I think, I think is going to be, you know, a, a, the next you know step the next biggest step and that's what we've been working towards but you know we'll talk a little bit more uh after the jump um we're re really excited that we have shane coming yeah. up because he's yeah. gonna really let us know about you know a lot of that behind the scenes um work in animation no the great and you're right totally apropos so uh let's take a little break we're gonna listen to uh this great interview with shane perez and we'll be back after the jump yeah, this is all Should good have been stuff. Playing. I, I know. So here we are. Uh, we're having a great conversation. We forgot to hit record, but now we are recording. Uh, so we are here with a very talented animation writer, filmmaker, uh, working mainly in the kids space, Shane Perez. Welcome, Shane. Hello, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, definitely. So we had an interesting meetup as well. I, I don't know if you uh, remember, but we met at MIP Junior. That's right, in yeah. In Cannes, yeah. yeah. So that's when uh, I was on sort of a, a two-year animation project in the kids' space. Uh, MIP Junior is... MIP Junior is the sort of the kids' uh, conference within the larger MIPCOM, uh, which is one of the world's largest TV conferences, similar to Nappy mm -hmm. in that sense, but it's, yeah. it's held in Cannes every year. Uh, yeah. And so it's it's a really cool market. So you were chilling in France. I was. I, went, I was on the croissette. The croissette. <laughs> Actually, at the Hotel Martinez. Is where they had it. Oh, perfect! I have some cool selfies. I have to post them again on the uh, the so website. Your, your family hotel. Yeah, I was asking, like, hey, do I get like the family benefits here? <laughs> or like, no. Not not them. They take you for every we are French. Cent and they can not <laughs> Yeah, there is no Cuban Martinez here. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a great time. And then at one of the events, uh, I, I ran into Shane, and we started talking. He's like based in Ireland, but he's like a huge Dolphins fan. So we just hit it up talking about, I said, we're Miami. He's like, oh, my God, I'm a Dolphins fan. That's a great connector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great connector, the sports world, especially yep. when you. Screen Heat Miami was destined. Yes, destiny. It was destiny. And I do, I mean, I, besides being, well, I'm a Dolphin fan because I do have family here. So, right. so does that connection too? Miami ties. That's it. But you were born and raised in New York. New York, I was, yeah. To an Irish mother and a Puerto Rican father. Oh, wow. So. How was that growing up? That was interesting. I mean, uh, I was always aware of both 
both roots, uh-huh. both uh, sets of roots. Um, we grew up on the upper. I grew up on the Upper East Side when it was, you know, what I mean. The people think of the Upper East Side, and they think, you know, Park Avenue and Fifth Avenue. I was still. I grew up when it was still like tenement buildings and you know high rises. So it's a very, very uh, mixed neighborhood. Um, so when it was affordable, <laughs> and when it was affordable, yeah, we had rent control apartments. So that oh made my it, gosh! Made it, oh, they still have them, right? They still do. I actually inherited my mother's rent control apartment that we used to live in, and I only gave it up about uh, ten years ago. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah that's, that's I was subletting it, but then you, after the a dudes got tidy, you just couldn't get away with that anymore. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah, no so, one's getting away with that. No, yeah. they're yeah, they're they're tightening that up. So okay, growing up in New York, and you know, at what point did you sort of get an interest originally in in not only writing animation, the kids space? Uh, was it a passion your whole life, or something you developed later on? I was always good at creative writing, and my mother was very, very aware of that I had creative talent, you know. And it wasn't just like, you know, oh, because I was her son and I was brilliant or anything <laughs> like that. You know, she could see just my creativity. And she saw that I was struggling in this horrible Catholic school that I was in when I was uh, yeah. in first and second grade. Um, so she made she got me to try out apply for a very progressive expensive uh. private school and I, and I got in oh wow um uh and that was the changing point that was like third grade and funny enough uh she used the latin side to try to get me like you know a, a hispanic scholarship huh and they had already uh-huh. been used up so she went to the to the person like well how many Irish students do you have? <laughs> nice. And the woman looked to her and like, what? It's like, well, how many Irish uh, students do you have? So I got in as an Irish minority in this. Uh, <laughs> Irish? <progressive. laughs> That's awesome. They went to the board and they got another scholarship for an Irish minority. Right. That's, <laughs> great. That's a great that's, move. That's, that's, <laughs> that's just one of those classic tribute to mothers everywhere stories. Hey, you know? Definitely. You know? The mom will find a way. Yeah. <laughs> One day I'll have to draw on my Irish roots, my great great grandfather. Oh, really? That's it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah there you go. You, you said you have something, a project in Ireland. No, so? my, my my producing partner lives in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. But so. that could be, you know, that could be a talking point. You know, if you're trying to get funding over there. Or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, we we already started producing. You got to do it. You got to do. So That's you learned it. that in early age. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I many times in my life. You know, my middle name is Greeley. That's the Irish name. You know, um, I'll be. You know, whatever I'm fun, when I'm a, whatever kind of a thing I'm applying for. You know, if right. the, if the Hispanic is gonna work, let's go that route. If the Irish is the, gonna work, let's go that York, route. The or New York, yeah. Or Miami. <laughs> or Miami. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever fits. Yeah. I got something for you. <laughs> So, so third cool. grade? Yeah, third grade. Third grade. And that was like one of these schools like, you know, where you call the teacher by the first name and they they, oh, wow. they sit you down. You don't sit in desks. You sit down on like pillows and they ask you how you're doing and they get you to write about it and all this oh, kind of wow. stuff. And not just write about yourself, but can you put that into a story? And so it was great. Yeah, no, that's and that's I was writing stories from then on ever wow. since. And then, uh, then yeah, just... Uh, always loved movies and decided I wanted to be a screenwriter and then kind of, um, you know, went to film school, all that kind of thing. And uh, um, first I was in, all my time in the States before I moved to Ireland, I was trying to be a feature film screenwriter. Right. And that was, that was an, not an uncommon story where I was actually doing well. I was selling and optioning a lot of stuff 
and making pretty good money some years, but nothing was getting made. Right. Nothing. It was that kind of merry-go-round, and that gets very. We call it development hell. Development hell. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and well, it's making actually making money puts you ahead of ahead of about ninety five percent of the. Right. Everyone else doing it, but still, it still becomes very unsatisfying. Yeah, at some point, yeah. you want to see something come to life. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but I have an interesting. There's a note here on your your bio that at age 12 you started to write for the local paper. I did. Yeah. How did um, that come about? That's when my mother was. Uh, my parents split up. My mother went to graduate school uh, uh, to get her master's in social work, and we moved to Athens, Georgia. Hmm. And there was a, a a local paper that had like a kids page. Okay. Every week. Um, so I just came up with an idea of like, you know, and you had a lot of things going on at that time. That's when it was the late seventies and the Iran Contra thing had just kicked off. And right. I just had an idea of like, like, you know, cause I was seeing these adults giving opinions on the TV and radio and all this kind of stuff. And I was, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great to get kids opinions? And my mother had ran into the, the like the publisher at some event mm. said, you know, my son was saying you should publish kids opinions. So they... Wow. They took me on, and for like six months, I was doing a, a, a weekly article where I'd go around asking kids, like, what do you think of the Iran-Contra wow, situation, all this kind of thing, you know, and they paid me like 20 bucks a week. And you were getting paid? Oh, yeah, man. it was my first writing gig. <laughs> As a 12-year-old, Paying. that's like a and, 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 and like in 1980s money, 20 bucks a week was... That's a good allowance. Yeah, better than my allowance. <laughs> that's better than your allowance. Yeah. That's like one of our guests, Jay LaPlante, who's that's the executive true. director of the Miami Film Festival. Yeah, he was a he started as a writer around that age, so we have to make introductions. At some I know point. it's true. He he, he was uh, he's Canadian. He was in Toronto, I think. Was, like, yeah, in the suburbs of Toronto, and a similar thing. But the, in that case, the I think the newspaper didn't know how old he was because he just kind of wrote in a sample and he did it over the phone. He got oh hired. wow, that's like the uh, Cameron Crowe. Uh, Oh yeah, the, that's yeah. how he kind of did it. He kind of yeah. goofed uh, yeah. his age, and yeah, he Rolling Stone the, hired him. Yeah. yeah, so the industry already started sucking you in. Absolutely, <laughs> I got the writing bug early. <laughs> writing and getting paid. So early. yeah, that's <laughs> the other part. Yeah, that, but that's an interesting transition. I'll be in New York up until about the age of 11, 12, going to this really highly creative school. Now you're in Athens, Georgia. So what is the education like from the time of twelve, I guess, through high school? That's an interesting point. I actually got into because I went to I was in a good progress, progressive school in New York, and there happened to be because that was a big that was Athens, Georgia. That was a big, huge college town. Right. So they actually had a good private school in the area, oh, and okay. you know I was able my grades and stuff from that school was able to get me into this school. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was good. That was that was interesting. I mean, it was it was odd being a New Yorker in the South. For a couple of years. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah I'm sure. It had it's to a be. different um, way of life in Georgia than it is. In the Georgia. fact there was a big college town kind of made it more metropolitan yeah. in that sense, right? Right. Yeah, right. and it was funny when we were living when we first got there, and we were living in the we eventually got a house, but uh, uh, we were first living in the graduate housing. Oh, okay. Um, and it was mostly families there, wow. but you had like uh, families from around the world, and you had a lot of these uh, African um, former colonies that had just gotten their independence. From, from England and they were sending like their best and brightest over to get educations and oh, wow. whatnot and they bring their families with them. Huh. So I was like the oldest of this little gang of, hmm. of kids running around the estate. My mother used to call it my little United Nations. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, be, like South African, cool. a few different African countries. Yeah. Aust- uh, I think it was an Australian. So it's oh. more international. So, yeah, very international. Yeah, so, I know when I was uh, when I was a kid, you know, we lived in the suburbs of Chicago. And we moved to Kentucky. 
Louisville. Yeah. And I was ostracized, and we lived there for like six or seven years. So by the time we left Kentucky, I had a southern accent. I was totally southern, and we moved into Detroit. So starts all over again. Yeah. All over again. <laughs> so my nickname was Kentucky. You know, when I moved oh, okay. to Detroit, like somebody's like, oh, "Hey, Kentucky, with your Kentucky, your southern accent." So that does become, you know, when you're younger, it becomes some, kind of like an albatross. But I found as I got older that it became, for me, a huge benefit because it allowed me to be able to connect with people in a, in a different way. So I've, I don't know I've had that exact same experience. Looking back now. Um, I know there was a lot of angst. You're young, you're insecure, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think it has given me strength, and I can see like how to navigate situations. And 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 I think it's good we deal with. And like I said, we we've or I was saying before we started recording, uh, we've dealt with you know various clients all the way from the Pacific Rim, right, Ireland, England, and around the world. And I think those kind of experiences prepare you for that of course yeah yeah yeah. having that exposure is huge when you're doing international business and especially in the creative industry so that's yeah being able to work with different kinds of people absolutely yeah so uh so yeah you're in athens and then but you decided to go back to college in new york yeah i went back uh uh it was that time my mother started a little bit to go in graduate school but it was high school time and i really didn't want to like kind of be switching high schools Hmm. you know in the middle Right. And because, again, because of the experience I, of moving and all of that, and I was acutely aware of that, so I didn't want to like be starting a new high school in the middle of high school and all that kind of thing. Right. So I went back to New York. I lived with my dad. Um, uh, that was actually an interesting divergence because I actually, going back to New York, um, I got into, I, I did the New York public school entrance test and all that kind of stuff. I actually got into Stuyvesant High School, which is... Oh, yeah, Stuyvesant, yeah. Yeah. That's great. I got into it, but oh. I also got into Xavier High School, which is a very well-known Catholic high school in New Xavier. York, highly ranked, like, in the national rankings. Okay. I chose Xavier because, like, several of my friends were going there. Oh, yeah, that's easy. <laughs> so I haven't gone through the whole, whole insecurity moving thing. I just, I, I picked the safe choice. Whereas I think Stuyvesant would have probably been, probably would have push the creativity faster. Yeah, it has the gravitas. Yeah, uh-huh. it does. It, it would be in a different path. But anyhow, yeah, um, and even though Xavier was run by Jesuits, who are kind of very progressive uh, branch of priests within the Catholic Church, yeah. um, it still, it was more like kind of geared towards, you know, future accountants, doctors, lawyers kind of thing. Um, right. Although every year my English teachers were tremendous and that part of it always had my creative I mean I was always the guy who had to get up and read a story in front of the class and oh, okay. all that kind of thing and oh, wow. getting published in the school newspaper and all that right you know huh so, well, that's good so that kept going um, that kept the creativity going um, and then went to college went to Hunter College in New York um, and studied film and, and uh, film and English was wow. my major yeah. so but always focused on writing, on the writing. Always focused on writing at some point. Oh, wow. Yeah, so. Okay, so you get out of college, and so what's next for you? You stay in New York? I stay in New York, yeah. Uh, you know, struggling writer in New York. I actually, I mean, at that time, I mean, one of the formative things of my life there, too, was I was to put myself through college. I mean, Dad was helping out, but he wasn't, he didn't believe in uh, free rides. Yeah. Um, he never had one. Uh, but he'd help out as long as you were helping. If you helped yourself, he'd help you. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. 
Um, so I was working as a doorman on the Upper East Side, uh, which is actually a good gig for if you're an aspiring writer, I think. Gives you sure. a lot of free time to think. You have a little notebook, you write stuff down. You meet a lot of different people. You yeah. meet a lot of different people. Overhear conversations. <laughs> you do. There's definitely, you definitely, uh, there's definitely fodder on yeah. a daily basis. Um, and one of the best learning, besides going going to school and actually academic learning, uh, one of the best writing learning experiences, there's, there's a character actor you probably know, Austin Pendleton. Pendleton. Yeah, yeah. Um, he lived in that building, still does, actually to this day. I'm still friends with him. Oh, wow. Um, and when he heard I was interested in screenwriting, he's like, okay. He brings the luggage rack up to his apartment, comes down with about 300 scripts in a box. Oh. And this was the days before you could get... There was no internet at the time. Right, right. Yeah, you the know, hard scripts with the brass tacks. You used Man. to go down to Washington Square Park and pay about $25 for like a, a hot script that was, wow. that you know... It's like if Shane Black sold something for yeah, yeah, yeah. three million going on to Washington Square Park pay. And yeah, we're talking twenty five bucks in eighties money. That's yeah. Yeah. It's pricey. Um <laughs> so yeah, so Austin gives me this box of scripts and it's everything from like, you know, NYU graduate films right up to wow. Spielberg and Coppola movies. Jeez. You know, and everything in between. Nice. But the thing was, these weren't your roommate scripts, they weren't your cousin's scripts. These were scripts Real in the scripts. industry. Yeah. Real produced things, yeah. Yeah, or right. things that yet yeah, that had some kind of uh, uh, traction. Know, traction, yeah. 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 Wow. Um legit scripts. Uh so I mean I devoured those in record time. I'm and sure. and that's that's uh uh that that was one of the greatest learning experiences. Almost like life. a master's degree in that. Yeah, way. I mean, right. movies that were already out, I'd go back and watch again after I didn't read the script. And some refer, some of yeah. these movies weren't coming out for like a year. Yeah, you know, sometimes maybe two, three years they'd finally get made. Yeah, um, yeah. or you'd see like you know, you'd see like you know a script that had Spielberg attached. Why didn't this get made? And you read it and go, okay, now I see why that didn't get made. <laughs> <laughs> what was he thinking? <laughs> what <was> he thinking? <laughs> no, that was yeah. a Class. It was, was a master yeah. class. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, we had a similar uh, advantage, I think, at the University of Miami Film School, where we had an archive of scripts as well. Yeah. And so they would allow us to go and, like, you know, like a library, just go and check out a script, read it, and return it, uh, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I remember reading Goodfellas and then going back and watching the movie and seeing how Scorsese developed that, and then watching the scene and seeing what was still on the page versus what was improv, because you know, especially Pesci loved to do improv. So and, and Scorsese was big on that. But I like to see, okay, what actually stayed from the script. And Great learning experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So nothing, those nothing are better. Such valuable lessons. Cool. So, so now you're doing the doorman thing. Uh, you're reading scripts. You're devouring scripts, as you say. Uh, so, w- when do you start to make a move more into the industry? I guess as a well, as a I was writer. writing stuff then. You were writing, right? And actually, ironically enough, uh, things they say never happen. Like you know, you never sell your first script. Mm. I did sell my first script. You did. Oh wow! <laughs> and that's Congrats. the one and only one that got made. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 yeah, it actually got your your first very first script got sold and produced. Sold and produced, and then it turned out to be you know one of these where you know New York they make it making Toronto look like New York and and okay. uh, oh, yeah. low Canadian budget um, and uh, disappointing results. But you know, what was the film? It's a film called Men of Means. Men of Means. Yeah. All right. I like the title. Yeah, it was good. Good scripts. Good scripts. I liked it. I mean, I looked. I've read it a few times since, and I'm you know. Obviously, you progress as a writer. Right, a couple of yeah. things make me wince, but a couple of things, I'm like, yeah, I'm proud of that. That's cool. You had the hot hand right off yeah. the bat. Yeah, and even though like the movie 
was less than ideal. There's still scenes with it, and I'm like, yeah, I like that. That's that scene's all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we interviewed uh, Gregory Allen Howard, who wrote Harriet. Oh right. And, yeah. yeah, and he he wrote it 25 years, 26 years ago now, 26 years ago, and right. you know. Well, JL asked him, I, I didn't think to ask him this, but he, he's like, how many rewrites did you have after that? And he's like, I didn't rewrite anything. He's like, it's a it's a biopic, so, you know, I would just submit it every few years. Oh, wow, okay. Right? So As somebody if it was got something the... new. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So he, he said basically, essentially, he had to wait for the climate in Hollywood to change in order for the film to get traction. And yeah. that's obviously, you know, after all the recent movements and the Oscars and everyone asking for more representation, you know, all of a sudden... A property like that was like oh this is what we need and so he just said jokes he said he never said exactly when he wrote the first draft so when an executive would ask he they'd be like when did you write this a while ago <laughs> he just changed the date <laughs> he just keep changing the date that's hey that's clever yeah, so that's, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do that's exactly this it. is a very creative industry on many levels oh <laughs> the first around that time too the first just this ties into that um uh around that time the first professional screenwriting software came out. It was a thing called Scriptware. Oh, Scriptware. You remember that? Yeah. So this was before Um, Final Draft. Oh, way before Final Draft. Um, And this was, I mean, in those days, when if you were, I wasn't a, I I could be a, I wasn't a good typist, but I was a fast typist. But one of these, you type something and you'd have to wait for the little cursor to catch up. Ah, That's what computers were at then. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, Installing Scriptware was on the big floppy disks, you know. Oh, but it, yeah. it was funny that came out, um, and they were actually based in New York, and there were a lot of bugs. And I was always calling them up, but then they were like, kind of, they saw I was in New York, and they said uh, they used to have me actually come down to the office and work there, so I could oh, show them the cool. bugs, like <laughs> wow. as I was they working. Almost had you working yeah. for them? So yeah, you were yeah. like consulting for them. Consulting, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> um, but that had a function in it mm. where you could go, you could doctor the numbers the page numbers in the uh, middle of the script okay. so if you were supposed to turn in a draft that was 110 pages yeah. but it's really 130 you could go mess with it like you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. uh, that's great a little so, trick of the trade yeah they learned that one quick um that's awesome so yeah. so now you, you know you're you're a young guy you're in new york you're a produced screenwriter you know you're working with this company so and austin pendleton was in that movie and oh he oh, was wow. he, well did they, you get him attached it kind of, oh absolutely they kind of it went to its you know the original producers had the could were having trouble raising finance and it uh um got sold to canadian or co-produced with canadian producers um and they had Cast all the roles, but they uh, uh, came to me and was like, you know, who's this Jerry Trask character? Who, what, what kind of, hmm. having trouble picturing him? Like, who do you think is that? I said, well, I wrote it with Austin Pendleton in mind. They're like, well, let's ask Austin Pendleton. Ah, um, and uh, That's great. He did it. Yeah. Wow. So, that's amazing. It's your first producing stint. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> See that? Even just being a doorman. You yeah. never know. <laughs> this industry has so many strange turns yeah. that lead you to where you got to be. Yeah, you better be twisting oh. and turning in this industry. You're not yeah. going to make it. Absolutely. So now I'm assuming you've produced your first screenplay. You're thinking, I'm going to sell 100 other ones, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, are you trying to get an agent? Did you have someone representing you at the time? That's, again, that's, this is... A good bad thing, you know, and one of those things that can keep you up at night if you if you um, think about it too much. Uh, I because I was in once the the script started moving and people you know people were interested. Uh, I was in over my head, and but I managed to you know do friends of friends and stuff to get an agent, mm. you know. Okay. And in those days, again, you couldn't just send an agent an email. Uh, right. In yeah. those days, right. those days was you'd send out. 
you know, dirty letters with the self-stamped postcard. The query letters. Yeah, 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 I remember you that. Know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the little box, did you get my, you know, we are not interested. Please or, check. Yeah, <laughs> all of that stuff. Ancient history. Um, uh, yeah, so I got an agent who did, did well by that particular contract. Um, but the problem was he was like an older agent with an older clientele. Hmm. You know, kind of, he used to, he represent a lot of novelists, you know, back in the day when the, I guess the New York Times book list still, still is a thing, but, uh, oh, yeah, um, yes. but you used to have like a whole bunch of guys that would, you know, produce like, you know, middling kind of books that would be like, you know, a hundred, 200 on the New York Times list, but they'd make a living. Oh yeah. Cause right. people read, yeah. you know, there was no eBooks. Yeah. Sure. Uh, um, so he, he, he represented those kind of authors. So yeah. he really wasn't set up to develop a young writer. Right. Yeah. Particularly a screenwriter. Yeah. He wasn't the right. hot agent. Right. Yeah. He wasn't well, the, the hot agent. CAA. Right. But I was get he, I was getting interest. I was getting bites, but he just wasn't like kind of handling it. Right. Uh, yeah. And, um, and then like whatever the clause was, I couldn't walk away right away. I had to be with them like 18 months or something like that. I forget oh, what so the you're specifics. in a contract, right? I was in a, like a, so you were, in, like, you were in development hell again. That. <laughs> and in that time, I had one particular company interested in signing me um, interested in one of my scripts, interested in signing me, could not do it. Uh, that company turned out to be Circle of Confusion. Oh, yeah. Oh, when they were wow. based in New York. Okay. In fact, when they started out, their, their, their office was in the Empire State Building. Really? Yeah. Nice. Huh. So, uh, so that's like, you know, that's one, if you think about that too much. The twist right. keep yeah. turning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you, yeah. Kinda, you get a little happened. nauseous in your stomach, <laughs> like, what would have happened? Like, kind of... <sighs> man so yeah cool so then so you're obviously you know so that that's going where it's going uh so in terms of you know how else are you keeping yourself busy during that time what what's sort of going through your head career-wise you know are you thinking you know i'm just going to keep trying to push uh you know i know eventually you do make a move into the children's space and then obviously that happened because like i said i i i was still I, you know i ended up making good money getting stuff option things you know right ebb and flow really good money at times uh um then, early 2000s, uh, I, w- I was got involved in a massive project that would have been actually the, um, would have been the highest budgeted independent film ever produced. It was a big action movie that really? was going to be set in the Netherlands. Uh, um, they were looking to launch like a franchise. Okay. Um, um, and, and then 9-11 happened. And this movie, oh, yeah, that- this movie had a lot of stuff going on. And I had actually clocked um osama bin laden as a presence and his name was in the script and all this stuff so nobody that project was gone overnight nobody nobody was in the mood for this stuff. nobody wanted to go touch that yet yeah Yeah. so that was like that was a huge disappointment yeah um so you were living were you living in new york i was still in new york and that's when i started thinking about like you know i'm kind of I need a change of scenery. Right. Um, yeah. So you were there for 9-11. Obviously, yeah. you were about to sell this big project that unfortunately tied too much into the real situation. Yeah. And at this point, you're like, I got to get out of the city. I got, I got, I would have probably gone sooner rather than later, but my father got sick around that time too. Uh, I got you. So, uh, so I hung around uh, uh, a couple more years. Um, and uh, and then I decided, you know, because my mother was Irish, I had the passport. Ah, um, great. So I decided, let me, let me try some greener pastures. Yeah, right. for, oh, for, literally. Wow. <laughs> literally. 40 shades of green. There yeah. you go. Um, yeah, so I went to Ireland, and initially there, I still had contacts in the U.S., and I, most of the stuff I was doing, making money, 
uh, um, was uh, was through the U.S. You know, as I was getting getting acclimated, getting to know people in the Irish industry and right. and, and whatnot. And this is the um, early two thousands. Yeah, two thousand and four. I went to Ireland. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. easier because at least now email's starting to work. Oh, email's around now. <laughs> you, email's you don't have around. to physically mail across the pond. <laughs> no, <laughs> crazy. That would have been crazy. That would have been crazy. So where, um, where are you in Ireland? Are you in Dublin? Or are you in? I start off in Dublin. Right. Um, and then uh, actually got an interesting job there. I, when I first got there, uh, I got a job working for a new national paper started up. Daily Ireland, and I got a job as their Dublin. They were based up in Belfast, and I got a job as their uh, Dublin entertainment correspondent. Wow! Yeah. So I was going Back around to, to, yeah. to you know theater festivals and and uh, uh, film festivals. There. there was a couple of film festivals around Ireland. Um, uh, out every night, you know, kind of. Sure. It was great. <laughs> you know, free tickets, to everything. Yeah, you know, I can't even imagine giving yeah. you drinks and all that right. kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was really. It was. It was. It was a nice kind of landing spot. Sure, Dublin. Yeah. Dublin pub life is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> and the fair. The, and the the paper was trying to be fairly like kind of hip and progressive. So like, okay. I, oh, I had perfect. a kind of very loosey goosey style of writing that they sure. really liked. And uh, you're like coming in with the American angle too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I do like you know as well as reviews and stuff. I do like a feature a week. Like you know, I remember writing one like you know, you know. What's wrong with the Maverick directors was one of my favorite articles. It was at a time when like the Coen Brothers, Quentin oh, sure. Tarantino, and, oh, and cool. I forget who else had had a couple of duds. Yeah. You know, like kind of. Yeah. Uh, um, That's true. There was like a turnover in the industry. Like, yeah. oh, these, this is the old guard now, maybe, and they're not firing on the cylinders that they used to. Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah, that was really great. Right. And then and then slowly, like I was trying to get back to my screenwriting, but then uh, I met my current uh, business partner around that time. He was okay. he was a. Uh, uh, Actually, no, I decided to go to to, to graduate school. In Dublin? Mm. In, in Galway. Oh, Ireland. Galway. Ireland. Yeah, yeah nice. they, they have a film school there wow. named after John Houston, the Houston Film School. Really? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because he, his Irish roots from around there, and he had a, a, a little huh. country house out there not too far from there, and, mm. he, and he spent a lot of time there. Wow. Him and his kids and That's whatnot, really cool. you know. Um, like Angelica Houston with a lot of, had a lot of involvement in setting up at that school. Yeah. The Houston family. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so I went to the Houston Film School and I studied. I said, you know, all right, I want to get an MA. What should I do? And I said, why not do screenwriting? Easy. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm not learning anything new. Like, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was actually really fun because I was, you know, first time going to college, I was like, you know, you're standard scraping by student. Yeah. This time I had a few bucks in the bank that I'd say, sure. you know, yeah. you know, I'm kind of living the life like a, I wanted to the first time around. Right. right. You know, nothing that was going on in the school was too taxing to the brain. All right. I mean, you're you already know? a produced screenwriter. Yeah. You got Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm arguing with the... You got chops. You know, and when like, you know, you're in the... Actually, the head of the school said afterwards I was one of the funnest students he had in years, but I drove him crazy yeah. during the MA because like when we'd be doing like, you know, you know, um, French New Wave stuff or something like that. The first time around, like, you know, when I was, I was like kind of sitting there, I don't know about this, but maybe I'm just young and ignorant and I shouldn't argue. Um, but then the second time, like, no, 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 no. I'm calling bullshit on that. You know? <laughs> Not all of them. I like the French New Wave, but a few, a few things here and there, like, where right. I thought it was a little too pretentious, but, uh, you know, there kind you of, so. See, maybe she'll let you teach the class. <laughs> I, I, had a little I ended up teaching at the school. Oh, did, oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> right after? Or? That would be uh, about three years after. Yeah, that was soon. That yeah. was soon thereafter. Huh. 
That's crazy. So about three years after that, yeah, so I get my MA in screenwriting, and then about, I stay in Galway, met okay. my girlfriend, stayed in Galway, mm. um, like Galway, and my mother, my Irish mother, the, the all-knowing mother, um, predicted, like when I was going to Ireland in the first place, she predicted, you're going to end up in Galway. Oh, wow. She just thought it was my kind of town. Huh. Okay. It's a beautiful um, town. I've been. Yeah. I, I went with the UM Film Squad. It's a more it. artsy. Oh, yeah. It's it's yeah. an artsy kind of town. Yeah. Um, musicians, theater, oh, culture. Nice. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, also, but it's one of those slippery slopes because they, one of its nicknames is it's the place where ambition goes to die. Oh. You know, like you can literally, like, you know, you could go to one of their quaint famous pubs um, have a great conversation with a guy who's working on his novel and then go back two years later and he's still working on the same chapter oh, of okay. that right. novel. It's like that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, but then I, again, you got a lot of success stories too. A lot of sure. towns. LA is like that. Too. Oh yeah, sure. You know, right. sure. So, that's true. Yeah. yeah. That's but, true. Uh, so, so, that, so I start uh, teaching in the school um, and that was great. Another, another uh, uh, former student had taken over the head of the screenwriting program the MA program and she was trying one of the one of the complaints I had when I was actually doing the MA was that it was all kind of stuff out of books and and theory and stuff like that and there wasn't enough practical yeah stuff so she was looking to kind of flip all that in his head and she we talked about it and she brought me in you know so I came in and I revamped my portion of it and I just had them like kind of writing from week one pretty much maybe not their thesis scripts yeah but I used to invent these things called like you know, your nutty idea where I'd give them prompts um, to come up with just some crazy story. Right. right. Yeah, the crazy stories. Some crazy story that, that does doesn't it. have to make sense. You yeah. just got to make it work within the term. And then I'd, I'd run them through like the, you know, the Sid Fields and the, and the, yeah. and my, my theory to that was that, you know, there is no one set of rules. Hmm. Don't yeah. let anybody tell you there's any guru tell you there's my way or the highway. But, these things are all at play in the industry, so you have to know them. You have to learn yeah, them. And then you know right. how to break the rules and find your own style. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, that, that's cool. That's kind of flipping it on its head. It's, yeah. You're opening up the creativity first so that once they get into that regular kind of um, stayed and true way of doing things, that their creativity is still intact. Right. Absolutely. And, and you can't. I mean, most of these people are coming in the first week, you know, I won't say terrified is, is the word, but uh, anxious that, you know, they're going to have to pick their thesis idea, they're going to be locked in, and then it's going to be horrible, and they're going to fail, you know. So this was just a way to get them to relax, just get this crazy idea, run it through its paces, get, get you know, get your rhythm going, yeah, and, then, and then pick your thesis idea. I love it. And your yeah. creativity yeah. continues. Absolutely. And your excitement continues. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. a great way. Huh. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. And then I also turned it into a sort of a workshop shop format, too. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah, where, you know, everybody had to, you know, say at least three things about mm. somebody else's scene or whatever. Um, right. So, so it becomes collaborative. Yeah. It's kind of like constructive criticism yeah. and that kind of thing. Huh, that's very cool. So at this point, you're teaching. Now you're in Galway. And you had mentioned you had met around this time your business partner. My business partner went to the same school about a, y- a year before me. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, we knew each other through... He was living in Galway at the time, too. So we, the same circle of friends we knew each other through. Plus, he was also friends of one of my cousins, too. Okay. So I met him through that. And we were these guys that... Uh, if we went to a party, we'd just be in the corner talking about movies, films, TV. Right. You know, people would be like, you two 
idiots will you just be social and talk to other people They'd, we'd be separated <laughs> then like 20 minutes later kind of circle around back to the corner again that's so, funny yeah. <laughs> um, so he he got into animation he started oh. you know he got he went over to London to work for a bit he got into animation um, uh, and then he started to get a lot of work and uh, he thought my feature style of of writing is very lively very visual hmm. um, he thought it would lend itself to animation oh okay um, so he hired me onto onto a couple of things he was working on. He was working as a story editor. Oh wow! Um, and I loved it. Right, I oh, loved great. it. Great. As I joked in, uh, I won an award last year, and I in, in the speech I said uh, it was love at first type. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna use that. <laughs> yeah. As said only as a writer would say. say. Yeah, right. love yeah. at first type. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, really, I, re I mean, really, and the fact, I mean, I had never even considered it, because uh, I mean, you know, in those days, when in the 80s, when you were kind of, if you were going into that business, the media business, uh, from the scripting business, you had to pick your poison, because right. screenwriting was one distinctive path. Sure. You know, oh, and, yeah. and anything to do with television, be it animation or, or live action television, was another very distinctive right. path, and the two did not meet. You're right. Pretty much yeah. at all. Yeah. Unless yeah. you were like a superstar that could get away with it. No, you're right. Because we, um, we, we were talking about that a lot. Is that the industry has changed in the sense that now it's very fluid. Yeah. But in those yeah. days, yeah, you had to kind of, like you said, pick your poison. You know, this is my track. I'm a TV guy or I'm a film guy or I'm a kids guy or whatever it is. And our, uh, we had a guest who is a film commissioner from Miami-Dade County. But she was a producer before that. And she worked in a lot of different areas. And in her time, especially, you know, those areas were siloed. And right. so if you're in television, you're in television, that's it. Right. If you're in film, you're in film, and that's it. Things have changed now. I mean, I, I love the way things are changed because it's become more of a commoditized in industry, and people are going back and forth. Absolutely, more. yeah, it's great. It really is the golden age for yeah. not just television, for just content. for creativity. For content, yeah, content yeah. creators. No, you're right. Yeah. Cool, so now, now you're, you're, you're with your partner, you're doing animation, kids work, and at some point you decide to start a company together? Or? Yeah, yeah. We, we decided to start a, co a company, Hot Drop Films. Okay. Um, he had already started it. Uh, I came aboard and then we kind of launched a different version of it. Oh, okay. Um, just to start with a fresh page and fresh accountant and all that kind of you know, complicated <laughs> stuff. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and we started, you know, as a company, we did start in Asia. We worked for a couple of Korean companies. The big show that the company worked on was, uh, for a Singaporean company called, uh, um, One Animation, a show called Oddbods that has done very well okay around the planet yeah um very very popular um uh a few other things like i said a lot of asian stuff that probably wouldn't right. ring bells with people unless you're the kind of in that market yeah that's a huge um, market yeah. oh it is oh it's, it's you know it's, <laughs> it's money in the bank even bigger now I mean, right it is it is the asian market you, you want to talk about of course Parasite just I mean, won, we just, you know, that's yeah. South, South Korea. A big example. Of that, that recently, absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, K-pop is, you know, the biggest music around the world is, is another example. But, I mean, just in general, you know, there's been a big boom in that. So, yeah. And, yeah, and, and they're becoming more... They're becoming more integrated with Western ways of yeah, doing things. Sure. So it's becoming a more fluid process. That always, there'd be a lot of kind of awkward... Let's call them awkward moments um, uh, in those dealings. You know, a lot of cultural things that had to be navigated. But it's all becoming a lot more fluid. 
mm-hmm. um, and more business-like, you know, smoother kind of business process. Sure, yeah, because um, so much of the business is international, particularly because of the streamers and the Netflixes yeah. of the world. Yeah. You know, they're really looking all over the world, you know, for, for the next show. And we had talked about, you know, anime, which you said uh, you, you've not necessarily work, worked in that particular not, part. Not yet, anyway. Not yet, but I mean, you know, it, it is, you know, a huge segment. And a lot of companies are really ramping up. Oh, they are. part of it. So. I mean, it's always been big and always been there, but now it's becoming more and more mainstream yeah. in, a, in a big way. Yeah, that's cool. So. so how did you transition more into, you mentioned moving more into the European market after you had worked for a while with the, with the Asian we, company? We, we got a bit of a name in Asia and then, uh, uh, or built some good credentials off of working in Asia. Um, and then the next stop was Dubai, where we uh, got a big... A big, a fifty million dollar CGI film that should be. I actually haven't talked to those people in a while. Uh, it's been delayed a little bit, but it should be coming out in two thousand and twenty-two. Huh. Nice. Um, so that was a nice get. Very 50, cool. Fifteen million dollar uh, deal. And you haven't fifty. Talk, fifty. Yeah. You haven't talked to them in a while. <laughs> oh, just, he's the writer. He did his job. Yeah, that's it. It's kind of like that. It's kind of right. like that. Um, right. And there was a little. There was a little. Again, I'm not going to call anybody out in a. Yeah, you get podcast, but um, yeah, yeah, no, there was a little tension after the fact uh, over some contractual issues. I mean, those worked out, but it's like you know, we'll talk to you when we need to, like, right, um, right, right. So, uh, but that's exciting. Cool. Oh, it is exciting. Again, I hope you know. I hope it does get to the finish line. I mean, I, I know they've invested a ton of money and resources into sure. it so yeah. and it's on imdb so okay um <laughs> but that's yeah that's wow. that can be so you're a, the far east now you're in the middle east yeah and back yeah. into the feature world and back, and back into the feature, feature world, world which was nice right um would love to do more of that actually yeah a few few things that yeah. could be in the pipeline but okay. uh um yeah and then we actually did some work for a couple of other uh local companies as well um so again we were kind of joking we had the the market in the UAE cornered. Um, there you go. And then we started working with uh, uh, our big break sort of in Europe was a, um, a show called Space Chickens in Space. Uh, nice. Yeah. Um, that was a Disney... It it, it, show, it uh, premiered on Disney XD last year in Europe. Right. Uh, oh, okay. Still hasn't sold in the US, but I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Um, that came about because when this whole Brexit business oh, yeah. Yeah. first started... The, in the UK, there was, it was like a panic move. Uh, they, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen next, so they decided they were going to produce this in Ireland. Right. And uh, and Ireland had a robust animation industry, you know. Plus, you guys were there. We were there, <laughs> and we had, the, you know, not a lot of people were doing what we were doing, just the pure, like, uh, writing development side okay. of things. Okay. Wow. Um, so they got us on board. Um it, but when you in, in in a setup like that, when you're getting a lot of the Irish tax breaks and Irish investment and whatnot, um, uh, uh, you got the content wise, you had to have fifty percent Irish writers. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and at the time, Ireland, Ireland, Irish writing, Irish animation writing was probably largely because Ireland produces a lot of preschool. That's predominantly what the the, the oh. national broadcaster buys. Uh, okay. Um, a lot of the companies. At the time, but it, I mean, it's changed so much in like three, four years. Um, at the time, that's what a lot, a lot, of, what a lot of them were producing. Um, so a lot of the Irish writers were perceived to be preschool writers, and this was like an older, like six to six to twelve, cheeky, right, right, right. cheeky humor, fast-paced humor kind of kind of thing. 
Um, but we managed to get. We ended up having like a, a you know sixty five percent Irish riders. Cool. So, you, it, so the team got pulled together. You guys were on. The team um, got pulled together, yeah. Yeah, and so you're creating this show. It's out in Europe, and it's out in Europe. It's a calculated move on their part, um, and that was uh, ended up. Disney was the the landing spot and one of the partners, but uh, it was. And here's the world we live in today. Uh, um, it was started by Anima. There's several Animas. Um, this was it was started by Anima Mexico. Okay. And then Cake, famous distributor, um, and now produced. They've gotten back into the production game out of London. Right. Um, and then they got a uh, Disney EMA interested, uh, and then another production partner that was one of the uh, um, that did most of the key animation, uh, Mashi out of uh, Australia. Right. Um, and then the two directors that Disney had been grooming were from Norway. Wow. Um, we're in Ireland. Yeah. So some of these deluxe Skype calls could be a little hairy, like at times. Uh, (laughs) Well, I was going to say, but but do you see, it all goes back to your training in Athens being like this little United Nations. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. He's like a perfect guy to organize all that. (laughs) And my business partners, uh, uh, his his family were Republicans, you know, so he grew up in, in, in pubs with a lot of, you know, diverse people. So he's very adept at navigating. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Navigating the crowd, too. For me, my, my creative director lives in Switzerland, you know, but we've been together for 15 years. So we met here, and then he traveled and landed there. He got married, and whatever. Hopefully, he's coming back now this year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, of course, there was times, you know, we had office here on Lincoln Road, and, you know, so we had the regular situation going. It would have been impossible, you know, back then when we started to be able to do what we do now. It's it almost feels easier because you know you can exchange files, you can message, right. you can Skype, you can, you know, you could really run internationally uh, from anywhere. Yeah, a lot smoother you know? now. Yeah. yeah, a lot, a lot smoother. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And I'd say another another thing that happened in this, you know, uh, Pacific Rim to Europe kind of journey, uh, because we were working on so many diverse type of shows, we met a lot of diver- we picked up a lot of diverse writers. So one of our our big selling points. At things we've got a network of writers around the globe from pretty much any English language speaking territory. It's like New Zealand for some reason. We, we keep joking about how come we don't have any writers from New Zealand. Oh, wow. Maybe you um, have to meet Dean Lyons. I was, gonna, yeah. I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah. There we go. visual effects guy. Yeah, I think um, I mentioned him to you, but yeah, he's cool. Um, that we can plug into almost any kind of show, any kind of age group, you know, and that's a, that's one of our big goals. Oh, that's a great asset. Yeah, so, yeah, that is a great So preschool comedy, older action. Yeah, yeah. Queen, you know, whatever. Global, yeah. which is more important now than yeah. ever. That's oh, everything's global now. Yeah, everything's yeah, yeah, more important. You get a few niche projects, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, but you're, you're always looking yeah. at that global marketplace, yeah. so... Yeah, yeah. and speaking of marketplace, because I want to touch a little bit on this, because it is a Miami thing now, uh, you know, you're here this week for Kid Screen. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about what that conference is, and, you know, is it... You, the fact that it's been in Miami for the past few, it used to be in New York, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't go, I wasn't going to it when I was in New York. But yeah, the uh, weather wasn't as friendly, I'm sure, either. But. That's what they, yeah. <laughs> few, what they they say that the last three years before it moved to Miami, like people were delay, trapped by snowstorms. Yeah, snowstorms, stuff, flight yeah. delays. So it, it seems like they're happy here you now. You don't huh? feel as good in that cold. <laughs> no, cold. no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, I like you, your shirt, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's yeah. very Miami. It is. And it's just the last day of the conference, so it's like, you know, yeah. all right, whatever kind of day. You know? uh, <laughs> I love it. So, so yeah, just talk a little bit about, you know, your involvement with uh, being a delegate at Kids Screen and sort of what that conference is. Well, it's a children's media conference. 
Um, not just animation, because there's plenty of live-action children's fair as well. Um, uh, yeah, it, every year it's a four-day conference where the movers and shakers in the business from around the world gather in a, in, in a place like Miami. And let's hope it stays in Miami. There's those yeah. rumors going around. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Stay in Miami. Too much partying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they're just trying to... I think it's a negotiate until... Yeah, got right. I think, yeah, yeah, trying to get some leverage, yeah. yeah. Um, Daniel Craig is not doing 007 again. Yeah. <laughs> every, every time. That, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's... A re, it's it's These conferences are great because you're taking people out of their comfort zone and putting them in a nicer comfort zone um, yeah. <laughs> um and networking a, a lot of panels that you know explore different aspects of the of the biz mm. um you know if you're if you got any kind of traction at all and you're doing business you tend not to you, you look at the schedule and say i want to go to that panel and then you go to like one of them because you got meetings you got yeah. right yeah right which is yeah. the main reason why that's people the main reason business. Yeah. right yeah uh, you want to make a deal you want to buy something sell something create a development contract yeah, so you know, you you see the delegates. I mean, you got the there's different in our in our case, there's different kinds of meetings. There's there's ones with the projects that are in play where you're kind of meeting with the clients and checking up where are we now, what do we need? Yeah. That face-to-face time. Um you and then you're trolling for work, you know, for, for the next sure. gig, planning right. ahead, you know, uh, you know, service the next service work. But then lately too, we our next step in our evolution is we've been starting to partner with some clients uh, in the IPs. You to know. develop IPs, right. Yeah, where our development skills are our equity. Um, wow. Yeah. So we're doing that, and then obviously that's a good launching point to our own IPs. That's smart. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so it was like, you know, existing clients checking in on things we're, prop, uh, we're partnering on, seeing what the next steps are. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was soft pitching a couple of IPs this there you week. Go. Okay. Just to see what direction I need to Put a feeler out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We talk a lot about that, and and this kind of dovetails into my next query, which is we, we talk a lot about the intellectual property game, you know, and how vitally important it is now. You know, you can see that, of course, with the big conglomerates. Absolutely. And yeah. how they're mining their IP. Like, some of them are, like, in the basement of the IP just dragging these things out. But the industry has changed so much. You know, so I just wanted to hear your take on some of this transformation. Now we're in the times of the streamers and, you know, it, it really is a different time. As we were talking before the podcast started, yeah, I mean, it is just the content. I mean, it's just an unprecedented demand for content at the moment. IP is at the center of it all. That can be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, they, they just want something with some kind of legs underneath it. I mean, you know, even if it's a postage stamp that are you know right. fifty thousand people bought that you can turn into an animated thing right. you know um i mean you know there's a lot of asian companies that uh, uh have you know these phone stickers that are very popular yeah that they're you know several companies turning those things into into shows um you know if it, a book anything anything with any kind of uh proven record right. to it proven commodity they're interested in it's it can be a little daunting to launch something original Mm -hmm. um the big boys well that's not fair i mean i think the netflixes in the world have up to this point been shown willing to be a little take a little chance sure do some unusual stuff because they have to because they don't have a lot of ip like disney no, right. they yeah. don't. No, Disney don't, right. got the market market corner there. <laughs> yeah. um, well, younger company, you know. You're right. not. I mean, Netflix right. has been what, twelve years, thirteen years now, but it is 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, a younger company. Of course. When you have Disney, you know, of course, Warner Media, you know. Yeah, all the legacy like brands DC that are already kind of been. Boomerang, right. and, you know, they're pulling out IP that you haven't heard from this character in <laughs> 50 years. So, yeah, are you yeah. Doing a film about this? Yeah, Absolutely. Right. They're doing that. You know, they're, they're, a lot of companies, you know, new streamers coming on would rather have a 50 year old character than something brand spanking them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But some, some of them are willing to take a chance. But, I mean, you know, they should content this king, but IP. IP is king. Is king too. You know, the, we, the... we had talked about, and now, you know, it, lo- it looks like it's true. We had talked about some rumors about Friends, you know, that they're going to have a reunion. Right. And this is, what, a m- couple of months ago before any talks of that. And why did Warner Media pull the Friends property back uh, right. on for their launch? And now it's true. Yeah. I did, yeah th- four or five days ago, deadline. Oh, they're coming back for right. an hour long, you know, I guess you can call it a movie. So this IP is really the engine that's running a lot of things now. But what do you think about in terms of this relationship with, you know, everybody now coming out with their own streaming service and really that is globalizing the industry and having content that's like global type of content that can attract viewers around the world. I mean, that's very much, I mean, that's that's probably changing as we're, and developing as we're having this conversation. It's all new and it's all... Did you very, feel that at kids' screen right now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because the last, uh, everybody was waiting for like the last eight or nine months for Disney Plus to, to drop. It dropped off. That had a lot of people just kind of frozen in place. Yeah. We talked you know, about that in November when that yeah. dropped. That just changed the game. Yeah. yeah. A lot, you know, like the last big conference was... Uh, uh, it was Mipcom, Mip Junior, Mipcom, Mip yeah. um, and people were like very non-committal. I mean, there were meetings going on, there were talks, you know, you, there were sort of things weren't making the projects weren't making the jump forward that normally were. A lot of people uh, were just in holding mode, like you know, it seemed like uh, uh, even big ones like uh, Cartoon Network, which has a had an pending deal with HBO Max, and and right. uh, um, but they were still waiting to see what was going to happen when Disney dropped, you know. Sure. Um, Netflix, all of these people, just, you know, all the new ones coming on. I mean, I can't even count them now, but you uh, Right. You know. Um, but then as soon as uh, we could definitely feel movement again. Uh, yeah, very now. fast movement. Now that Disney has dropped, you know, it's still again, you know, we'll see. Disney had a great start, and but it'll, it'll be, you know, it'll be a balancing out process, you know. Yeah. Um, the next big question, are Disney going to be all... IP driven, or are they going to start getting into more, some get their own IPs, or yeah. will they Original. get into acquisitions? Right. You know? Oh, acquisitions. will they get in, will they get into that game? Yeah, I mean you're you know? right because it seems like right now, and I think I've heard Bob Iger talk about the idea that mainly Disney was designed for those major IPs. You know, for the Disney, for the Pixar, obviously Marvel, Lucasfilm, and so the majority of the content for that platform will branch out. You know, there's anomalies because they do have The Simpsons on there, you know, but that's such a powerful IP. That's almost its yeah. own little universe. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So, so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if eventually, if, you know, if they're not hitting the subscriber numbers they need after one or two years. Yeah. They, they are thinking outside the box to certain... I mean, I can only relate from my own experience. Um, there was one gentleman I met who contacted us and met uh, the previous, the 2018... Hmm. Uh, uh, Mipcom, Mip Junior, um, and he was looking for live action content, and he had a very for for Disney. He just right. this, it was just Disney at the time, right? Um, and he 
couldn't say exactly what he was looking for. It had a very wide remit. It could be like a series. It could be a mini series. It could be, you know, but they want to be something the whole family can watch, but not necessarily centered around kids. It was it was all these kind of fuzzy parameters. And I like that's when I was like, came away. Wait, wait that, that's I think it's that Disney Plus maybe that they're talking about. Oh yeah. Um, then I met him again this past Nepcom, and I said, and he's he was like, definitely yeah. He he just. <laughs> Everyone knew it was coming, but yeah. you couldn't talk about you it too much. Right. Yeah, um, and he said, "Yeah, definitely, he's looking for live action." So they are in that regard. They like I know they're looking for live action, original stuff for that for that families can sit down and watch together, but not, aren't necessarily you know like Little House on the Prairie or something like that. The, the protagonists could be adults. Um, yeah, and whatnot. Well, I think that we have from our alums, uh, Gregory Allen Howard. He spoke of. His, he also wrote Remember the Titans, the movie Remember the Titans. And he said that there's rumblings of turning that into a TV show. Okay. So, or content, you know, episodic. And then um, another alum, Eric Gennard. And I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, Eric has a Disney Plus deal. Yeah, on, he, he on, did on announce that original. on his podcast. He is developing a property with them. It is based on a book that he optioned. Uh, but yeah, so they are looking. You're right. They are looking to develop. And I think that's a wise move. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I it, mean, that's yeah. it's certainly minimal risk to them. I mean, if, you know, yeah. They, if anybody can get away with it and take a chance, it's it's them. They turned so, the key ten yeah. million subscribers automatically, so that was that's <laughs> no that's they, something. That's that was a huge. Yeah, as obviously, you know, you have such an established brand for so many years, and there's it's particularly with Disney that's become you know what I guess Sachi refers to as a love mark, that they just have yeah. such a loyal following around the world that you knew that right out of the gate. You know, they were just going to have a big... 10 million out of the yeah, gate. Yeah, 10 million out of the <laughs> gate. But, you know, it's Disney. It's How has it transformed your business? I guess that's the... Well, I mean... Over, overnight, on a day-to-day basis, probably not much. But I guess planning for the future, uh, you probably see just more... More potential for th- these IPs we want to. Yeah. We want to roll out, and not only that, but more opportunity for work. Like we probably have more, more emails coming in, more queries for our services than than yeah. ever before, and it probably is because of all this this rush to get content out there. Yeah. Well, that is important, and you know, running a production company myself, I know you know we move the pieces around with different properties, and you know, depending on the temperature, you know, is this going to be a right thing to do? Is that going to be a right thing to do? We have a Haiti project. And Sean Penn is now coming out with a Haiti documentary. Oh, right. Yeah. So we're brushing, you know, some of that off and we're going to start to bring that out, you know. So when you have a company, these types of opportunities, you know, you're getting more emails in. Well, that's what you want. You want more activity because activity then helps you to get the business of what needs to Absolutely. happen. Yeah. So, yeah, you need the friction. <laughs> you need to have things going on. Yeah. And one another trend we've heard is that uh, uh you know there's people looking for more kind of adult content like adult swim kind of stuff. We've yeah. heard that appetite increasing for the last couple of conferences. Oh yeah, and that's yeah. something that you know and I think the YouTube kind of capitalized on that for a while. There's more adult themed animation and things along those lines. Yeah. Uh and so, you know, and I think we talked to Ethan about it and they're kind of now Netflix and other streamers are mining YouTube to see okay, who can we pull out of that and <laughs> yeah. put onto one of our yes. platforms. You know, these are but you talk about having an ingrained IP or audience. Some of these YouTube channels 10, 12 million oh, subscribers. Absolutely. It's insane the following they have. Uh, you know, which obviously gives them more leverage negotiating with a Netflix. We're like, you know, yeah. I already have my audience. I'm already 
you know, monetizing. <laughs> so what can you guys offer me that I'm not already doing myself, essentially? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting world. It is. It is. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll... Uh, you know, we've been here almost an hour. It was a great conversation. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, if you want to talk about, because you made a transition recently as well, no? Oh, uh, Portugal. Yeah. Yeah. How's that? Always got to, I always got to throw some kind of new wrinkle into, onto my path. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So, yeah, I've been living in Ireland the last 16 or 17 years, actually, 16 and a half. Um, and just, though, as much as I love the country and birthplace of my mother and all that and, and, uh, family that's there i just can't take another irish winter um i mean new york's not exactly warm in the winter but it's cold you put on your warm jacket put on your gloves and you know you're good they're places to thaw (laughs) (laughs) one good thing about a rent control apartment they tend to be uh well heated um you know uh just in Ireland, it's like you know, months and months of gray and rain, and it's like constantly in the 40s and right. damp, and it just like starts chopping at your bones and your joints, yeah. and, and, and it's just like, a, you know. Um, so just decided to, you know, and I don't have any children. I got family, but I see them at family events and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, my girlfriend's in a similar position. Okay. Um, so like, why are we waiting till we're 70 to like feel warm and like kind of enjoy <laughs> right, the, right, right. <laughs> the environment around us and, and whatnot. So we decided to, to go down there. Cool. So yeah, so I bought a place uh, last year. Like in the space of nine months, I decided to do this, found a place, bought it, renovated, didn't need much re- renovation, and we moved down So in ah, October. Very so, nice. So yeah. So I've still got, a, I've got property in Ireland, and I still go back every uh, two to three weeks, uh, on business, a couple of days business sure, needs yeah. to be done. But, you know, in this business, you know, when you're creative, like, you know, 95% of what you do can be done with a video call. Exactly. And then yeah, you're, that's what I'm saying. And it's then like you're by yourself, time. like, you know, looking at the blank screen. Right. <laughs> that's the, the lonely part of yeah. it, the, the writer's job. <laughs> in I know the room. We talked about off mic. Um, I have a producing partner that lives in Ireland. I just moved about three years ago. And I guess he's now dealing with that, uh, Winter. Irish that winter. Irish, that Irish winter. That bitter winter. Yeah. <laughs> and I just missed uh, seeing him in October when I was out there in Europe. Yeah, but now it looks like uh, I'm going to take a trip out this year. Maybe I can coincide with the time that you're out there. Absolutely. That'll be great. I'd, rec- I'd try to, although, the you know, with the crazy weather, the whole planet is getting these days. You, right. you never know. But in my time there, you know, May, April, May, early June is like the best time you could you usually get a stretch of really nice weather there. Yeah, like okay. and it's spring. spring. Yeah. Okay. Plus the whole, you know, the real kind of heavy tourist season doesn't start till like the middle of June. So like if you can get it in, work it in around that time. Okay. You'll have a good time. Now I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And speaking so, of knowing, I think it's time for our signature. Yes. The two question. Have, oh. The two part of it. Oh, maybe I should have listened to some podcasts in advance. <laughs> You'll be fine. Uh, so, yeah, if you want, I'll ask the first part. You know, this is sort of like uh, it's a back to the future question. So the question is, if your current self could go back in time to your child or your high school self, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? Mm. Oh man, I think this is the longest pause we've yeah. had. Oh no, I I'd say maybe don't don't I mean I always had confidence, but don't there were doubts that could have that maybe tripped me up in a few a few times. Mm-hmm. I tell myself, 
Don't don't let those doubts get in your way. Don't doubt yourself. Just keep going. Okay. Push through. I like it. So yeah. This can be a hair trigger business. Although, so. if you want to hear a weird one, um, I've got this the doorman building I mentioned that I used to work in. Mm. Um, uh, uh, oh, Donald Trump used to come there for uh, you know for uh, um, cocktail parties, but then he was just like you know New York Donald Trump, oh, right. unlikable New York Donald Trump at the time. <laughs> um, um, so I was thinking if I could open up a portal and talk to that young doorman. Yeah. There. Now, I'm not going to say what I say to my friends because I'll have the Secret Service calling around. <laughs> but if I could tell that young man to do certain things right. and save the world some <laughs> angst. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. That'd be a thing. But I mean, I'd be a psychopath in jail. It'd be one of those, you know, ironic situations. I'd be a psychopath in jail, but I don't know what I did. You know? <laughs> Maybe there's a novel there. Yeah. Universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. You know, right. the multiverse is like yeah. the big thing now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, your multiverse yeah. self could, could so, be could be the the gem of a of an IP there. <laughs> there you go. It's time travel, crazy Screen, political. You have to give thought. us yeah. some of that IP there. You know, um, but uh, co-pro, Miami co-pro. So the second part of the question is, what advice would you give to someone who is getting into the industry now? Either they're just starting or they've been in the industry just for a little bit. What advice would you give as a writer? Them? As a writer, and then also just as a creative. So first I, as a writer, and then as a creative. Educate yourself, but in the way we discussed, you know the gurus, know the industry trends, but don't live your life by them. Um, I mean, if you try to play the trends, they'll be six months out of date by the time you, you get your first script written. Hmm. Um, read. Read what's what's in play as much as you can. Watch what's in play. Hmm. Um, again, don't try to guess that, but learn from them. Learn why they worked, why they didn't work. Just hmm. analyze. Constantly analyze. Um in a proactive way, what you're what you're watching. Mm, great advice. That yeah. is great wow. advice from a man that's had an a, an epic journey. Epic journey. <laughs> still Let's hope going. It's not over yet. In the yeah. new chapter of Portugal and and beyond. You Maybe, couldn't write that story. No. Well, I would say if you write a memoir, I already got your title. You already mentioned it. Love at first type. Love at first type. <laughs> I, I never thought of that as the memoir Perfect. title. There we go. Well, Shane, thank you so much thanks, for joining us. Thanks so much, guys. This, this was, was this was yeah. excellent. All yeah. right, and cool. we'll be uh, back on the other side. Awesome. And we're back. <laughs> yes. That was Shane awesome. Shane gave it. The timing is perfect. Mm. Talk about a guy Shane. who has pivoted throughout his career, right? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I'm sure he's going to be able to navigate these waters. Um, definitely. Because there's going to be, you know, even more demand for animation. And I'm seeing more and more, you know, animated projects. There's, um, and I believe it's Fox, you know, there's an animated newscast now hmm. that's, that's come on board. Sci-fi has added uh, an animation block, an evening animation block. So you're going to see more and more of this, especially um, since production, you know, we know, you know, pretty certain that at least until June, you know, it's not going to start up again. But then you have, you know, July, August, if, if, if it really is September, you know, that glut of, you know, production, mm-hmm. people are consuming this content voraciously. Yeah. I mean, Netflix, Hulu, whatever they can, because, you know, you're quarantined. What are you going to do? Yeah. No, you're totally right. Yeah, you're right. There is going to be uh, a voracious need and an appetite for new content. So now this is almost a perfect storm where you have 
folks that are consuming content quicker than they ever have before. There's a halt in production and new content coming out. So when things ramp up, it's going to be put on overload, but yet you can't ramp up as quickly as you like because there's going to be all these new safety measures put in place. Uh, yeah. So, you know, productions are just going to take longer, you know, because they're talking everything from not only uh, keeping social distancing, uh, smaller crews, but the work hours are going to be reduced, apparently. So they don't want folks working these 12, 14, 15 hour days anymore. Right. We're talking, you know, five days a week, eight to 10 hours. You know, uh, like you said, this idea that Tyler had about keeping everybody in like hotel rooms or dorm rooms on a sort of film campus. Yeah, uh, and that's that's all going to slow down production. Yeah. And also, you know, they're going to do testing coming in. So that's going to be at least, you know, an hour, you know, figuring that out, maybe mm. two hours figuring that out. So and you yeah. think you once you get the unions involved and, you know, protocols, it really is going to be, you know, the whole nother ball game. I mean, you know what we talked about and this is just going back to Disney, you know, um, Disney CEO, I think he was really feeling himself. He was going to do a victory lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I made the comment the other day. He's like Godfather 3. Every time he gets out, they pull him back in. <laughs> yeah, who was that? Well, that was Al Pacino. Was that? that was uh, Al Pacino. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. That's, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because he was uh he was uh moving to become a board member. Yeah, he he became chairman, you know, de facto position. They had named uh, another Bob, Bob Chapek, who was actually uh, ironically running all the Disney theme parks. The was, theme parks, that's right. Yeah, They're cash had become, cow. Yeah, had become the CEO and he was sort of right. on the top of the heap and now all of a sudden, you know, everything just came down all at once. Uh, and and I think that you know I, I like to say it was the the return of the Jedi for Bob Iger, you know he just had. To... <laughs> <laughs> That's right, you know for our listeners, you know be, right behind me I have one of our my favorite uh, posters is from uh, Rogue One. Nice. Rogue One is uh, you know my my favorite from you know this new iteration of, of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you know I guess he's going to be the 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 return of the Jedi Rogue One warrior. Oh, you know, yeah, to bring it all back. If anyone else can, um, he's the one that 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 could. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Bob's always had. You know, the, the, a lot of people praise him because he's always been very kind of even keeled and very tempered. Uh, I think his predecessor, Michael Eisner, was a little more uh, <laughs> a little more excitable. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think that that definitely the right guy for this time. And I know that for a few years he was looking for ways to kind of wind down. And I think the Fox deal was supposed to be a sort of last hurrah. Uh, major accomplishment, but it seems like now, you know, he is literally trying to save the life of the company. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And like I said, if anyone else can do it, he's the one that can do it. So, um, we're looking at some of the other companies that kind of launched during this time, Quibi. Mm. Oh, yeah. Have, have you had a chance to download that and take a look at it? I have not yet. And and I should, you know, because I get I get a lot of sponsored ads on, on Instagram for it. So I, mm -hmm. I should definitely download it and, and check out some of their their content. But you know, they've, they've had an interesting launch, you'd think this maybe would have benefited them, you know, coming during yeah. this time where everybody's binging, but they seem to have had, you know, this has made the trades a lot, a lot of issues with some of their executives and staff, folks kind of 
jumping off uh, of the Quibi project. So we'll see. I think that's one of those that's it's too early to tell how well that particular platform is going to do. But you know, well, what do you think? I read a scathing interview ah, in Variety. Okay, and the interview or um, article was saying that a lot of the content felt half baked, mm. meaning, you know, it wasn't fully, you know, episodic feeling. It wasn't fully feature feeling, nor was it fully mobile feeling, you know? Hmm. So the way it works is you can watch part of it vertically and then you turn your screen it's horizontally and then you get more of the information, you know? Really? So, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily built specifically for vertical watching. Right. Nor was it specifically built for horizontal watching. So, Wow. You know, yeah, this is the article. You know, I haven't had a chance to because, you know, I had a daughter born, you know, during this whole coronavirus. Oh, yes. By the way, I should have mentioned situation. that at the top of the broadcast. Congratulations, <laughs> Kevin. There's Thanks. a there's a, a, a new little Kevinette in the world. She's adorable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you get a chance Thanks. to te- check out uh, Kevin's uh, social media handles there, there's some cuteness there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we might post a, a picture on, on, on the website. But uh, yeah, so I've been a little bit busy. I haven't been able to check out. Uh, I've downloaded it. I have everything, you know, set up to watch Quibi. But I can't comment specifically on, on that content. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah. But, um, you know, so they're having a little bit. Of, you, and you just mentioned it, you know. And this is without you really, you know, knowing specifically about what's going on. But, you know, they've had, you know, a little bit of issues with people jump, jumping ship. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you so know, it's... we got to see, yeah, what, what's going to happen with that. There's two sides to that coin that you mentioned, which is, you know, you would think during this time that this would be a great time for people to consume that content. But the article did go on to say that this content was built more for busy time. So, you know, you consume this content 10 minutes you're or five minutes, you're waiting in line somewhere, or you know, you're on the subway, or you know, you're just, you know, tooling around doing something. You consume the content because you're too busy to watch mm. other content. And if you you know read that review, the review does hearken to that specifically because mm. you have all this time. It becomes right. a little bit more challenging just to watch a 10 minute little tidbit when you have more time because of the quarantine and you can watch a longer form thing, you know, something that you can engage more in. So Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to see, and I'm sure that their marketing had as much to do with, you know, when and how this content was to be consumed. Oh, sure. No, a lot of valid points there. Like you said, folks have more time to consume. They may not want to rush through an episode in in five or eight or 10 minutes. You may be looking for stuff to kind of hold you over longer periods of time, which is why I think these sort of Netflix style limited series have done so well. Uh, You know, with 30, 60 minute episodes and you can go through easily 
four, five, six hours of content if you want to. Uh, right. Def- definitely one way to pass the time. And, and like we've said at the top of the of the podcast, definitely one that has benefited the most. Uh, you know, obviously an unfortunate situation for everyone. Uh, but in terms of folks' viewing habits accelerating towards the streaming platform and the streaming wars, uh, Netflix is still by far at the top of that heat. Yeah, and Amazon. I mean, Amazon definitely has, you know, <laughs> I think, um, they, and this is, you know, Amazon is a big, big company. Mm-hmm. But um, I've heard numbers like $24 billion in profits, wow. you know, since this thing started, yeah. you know, uh, uh, $4 million an hour, you know, is another number that I've been, you know, hmm. told. So, and I've wow. heard, you know, kind of rumbling around. So, you know, there are, you know, companies that have, um, you know, come out over this, but that's yeah. not to, this is all tethered with certainly, you know, my heart goes out to people, everyone who has been affected hmm. by this, because it's, you know, our industry, I think a lot of people oftentimes don't give the kind of thought right into you know what our industry brings in terms of um you know the workflow of it but this time specifically you know the entertainment gives you a release and it gives you the ability to um you know at least for a brief moment um you know, take your mind somewhere else. And so, you know, there are huge challenges for the film entertainment media industry. But, you know, as we spoke about, there are different areas that have, you know, moved forward and and thrived. But it has, you know, the situation has affected every industry. You know, there's almost no industry that has not been affected and it's affected, you know, so many people around the world. Mm. So, you know, definitely our hearts and prayers go out to everyone that has been affected by this situation. Um, again, we started talking about this early January and we've been talking about it, you know, until, you know, we had our little hiatus and, you know, we'll continue to check back in, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. You're very well said, Kevin. Thank you for that. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll check in, especially now that I finally figured out this amazing app called Stage Ten, so we could do these live right. Facebook <laughs> interviews. <laughs> yes. So uh, so yeah, Stage Ten, you're doing a great job, and we are looking for sponsors. So if you want to upgrade us, feel free to do. It. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we we can do that. We can yeah, do that for oh, sure. You did mention one last thing. Um, one of my favorite filmmakers, Roger Corman. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Roger Corman. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun with that. So he was. There's a few now, but he was one of the first to issue a challenge on social media. Uh, the the what he calls the first and hopefully last Roger Corman quarantine film festival, where he was uh, he put he put out a call for submissions. I guess for two minute films made in your home with only an iPhone and whatever props and friends and or family you have around you at the time. And so, uh, you know, he definitely put us in a little box 
uh, made everybody creative. I, I went ahead and made one with my family called the water bottle uh, that I posted okay. on. Uh, so you guys can check that out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, a lot, a lot of folks are making those movies and submitting them. And I think today was the last day, ironically, of that festival uh, at the, under the Corman challenge. And then he's going to pick a winner and there's going to be all sorts of social media hoopla about it. Uh, but yeah, folks uh, in our industry are still staying creative. Uh, and some might say, because we're so boxed in, we might have to be more creative than ever before. So who knows uh, where, yeah. where all this is going to take us. But, um, you know, I think we'll touch more on this next time. You know, Hollywood has to start thinking about the comeback and how we're going to come back from everything from development to production through distribution, because the game is going to change very quickly. Now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. So um, we have some exciting guests lined up. We're still, you know, figuring out logistics. So um, we're tossing up, you know, who we're going to have for next week, but I can guarantee you it's going to be an incredible guest. So right. we're happy to be back. Expect, deserve, you know, to, uh, to, to have this, this right. moment. And so, um, Absolutely. yeah, Screen Heat is back. <laughs> uh, I'm Kevin Sharpley. JL Martinez. <laughs> And uh, thank you guys for, for listening, and yeah. uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Yes, sir. Thank you. Stay safe. And until then, like I always say, happy streaming.